researching and talking about all things spooky hopefully we can maintain a somewhat consistent schedule even though like we'd rather just do it for fun than like we're not trying to we're not trying to become the next my favorite murder we just want an excuse to (laughs) deep dive down wikipedia rabbit holes and watch cheesy documentaries on amazon prime and And talk to each other about it Yeah, not that we don't already have good reasons to, like, talk to each other every week. It's just, uh, it adds a little bit of extra fun to it since we live so far away, you know, like, we do catch up on Snapchat every day, so it's just, like, an extra fun reason to just get together and chat about weird stuff that we're both into. (laughs) Yeah, and it gives us kind of, like, the motivation to, you know, once we're no longer incredibly broke. (laughs) find reasons to go see each other and record live and do fun things together oh yeah in the future i would love to do that there's so many cool things in ottawa to come check out oh yeah like do so maybe one day you can come visit me here yes Uh, maybe and next time you're in alberta (laughs) we can actually go to all the ghost towns yeah should we tell our listeners why i was in alberta visiting you in the first place (laughs) yes because i think it is the reason it's kind of an important reason. A great segue into our episode today. It is a great segue into today's episode. <laughs> so Steph was here at the very end of September, beginning of October, mm-hmm. because she was one of the bridesmaids in my wedding. Ah, I got to see Erin get married, and it was I know so I'm married now. <sighs> I always, I never thought that I would be someone who was like into marriage, like. I had, like, a Pinterest board for wedding ideas, and that was about it. Like, I was never a little girl who dreamed about getting married. (laughs) Getting married, I was kind of, like, I was – I wasn't prepared for the craziness of wedding planning. Like, (laughs) oh, my God. Like, I was just excited to marry my person Mm -hmm. and, you know, jump into that symbolism, celebrate with the people that we loved. But, oh, my God, the wedding industry is crazy, an absolute <laughs> nightmare. It is. Like, I'm very type A. I love to plan things. I love to organize. That does not mean I am organized. <laughs> but I really pictured myself when we got engaged loving every minute of wedding planning, loving orchestrating this event where it's all about me and Mark and our love and our friends and our family. It did not turn out that way. I no. we hired a wedding planner because I was overwhelmed and Mark was working a lot. He works like he works crazy hours. Mm-hmm. Like he leaves at five and I don't see him till nine o'clock at night. Yeah. He works in the film so industry, like, okay. by the way, to our listeners. <laughs> yeah. So at first I was like, This is insane. You were never home. I need help with this. So we hired a wedding planner. And That was kind of a disaster. That was, like, (laughs) the number one advice I saw on all the websites, all the forums, all the Facebook groups was, like, get a wedding Mm. planner. It'll make your life so Mm -hmm. much easier. It did not. Oh. It really did not. Okay. We ended up 
getting rid of the wedding planner mm-hmm. because everything that we wanted in a wedding was not the kind of stuff that like a wedding planner typically does. Right. Yeah. You guys Especially had a very low like, key wedding. So I feel like wedding planners are yeah. good for high key big weddings with like 200 people. Um, and we started with wanting a bigger wedding with mm-hmm. for like, <laughs> and for us, a big wedding is like 80 people. Yeah. <laughs> but we had like a venue booked at a distillery. We were like, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. Yeah. And then eventually we met with the wedding planner and a decorator. Mm-hmm. And the decorator was like, what kind of charger plates do you want? And we're like, what's a charger plate? <laughs> and she's like, well, it's a plate that goes under the table setting with all the other plates. And we're like, do I need to have what, one? What course is it for? <laughs> and they're like, it's not for a course. It's for decoration. It's just a big plate to we're decorate like, your little plate to eat on top of. <laughs> exactly. And we're like, okay. And why? And they're like, well, because it's it, that's what you need. Like, that's what you do. Yep. We're like, well, how much is it? And they're like, well, it's a dollar for each plate to rent it. And we're like, okay, but they're like plastic gold plates from the dollar store. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And we don't want to rent these stupid plates. And then it's like, okay, well, what what specific, specific off-white color of table linens do you want? Oh, God. And, like, how much money are you willing to spend on, like, balloons and shit? And we're just like... This sounds like my worst nightmare. Drive home. <laughs> it was awful. And, like, I love decor. And it originally... Me we too, were, like, but I hate making decisions. With, like, <laughs> right? Decisions are the worst. And we were like, okay, well, every table will decorate with, like, things from our house. We'll have, like, an Agatha Christie table with, like, some antiques and stuff. Oh, cute. And it was going to be super cute. And then the decorator was like, yeah, that's going to be really hard to pull off. So on the way home, we emailed our favorite pub in Banff. Yep. Which is St. James Gate Pub. Nice. Shout out. They have the best food ever. My brother has not stopped talking about it. <laughs> it was um, delicious food. And we're like, so if we have a... 20 person wedding reception do we need to pay like a venue fee Mm -hmm. they're like nope just like email us and we'll give you a 20 person reservation and we're like okay immediately canceled like wedding planner venue everything we're just like nope this is this is done Mm -hmm. and so in that moment when we were asked to decide about charger plates we realized we did not want a big wedding yep and that all wedding stuff was kind of ridiculous Mm -hmm. the topics in today's episode touch on the history of some wedding traditions and like the patriarchal sexist and homophobic like ideologies behind those traditions and things like that yeah i mean weddings are how they've evolved over time yeah so yeah um, should we like get back we should get into the actual episode. episode And so I think with that said, we should jump right into our... So let's talk about dudes' wedding rings because mm-hmm. oh, I am so excited. So, okay. Yeah. So first of all, your husband now, Mark, has a wedding ring, yes? He does. Um, I know that because I took a photo of it. It's and it was so, so pretty. Um, and, but you know what? That wasn't always the case is what I found out. And I feel like that kind of makes sense. Like looking back on it now, like kind of duh, like... I don't know why I thought men would have always had wedding rings. Um, But it really wasn't until like the 1950s that this really became a thing. So with that in note, I want you to think back in time. Let's go back to 1944. Okay. Um, And 
you're, I don't know, you're just hanging out at home, sitting on the toilet as some do <laughs> when they read magazines. <laughs> um, and okay, so it's 1944, you're sitting on the toilet, you're reading the American Ecclesiastical Review. Oh, right? Ecclesiastical. You're just through the... Yeah, it sounds like something that yeah, would be we're in the going... bathroom at my Catholic school. So in this 1944, uh, like, edition, whatever we want to call it, um, a Catholic priest wrote <laughs> to the AER um, asking about the double ring ceremony and how and should it be performed because it wasn't the norm, even in 1944. So in this, uh, like, advice column i guess uh he's pretty much just like how does it work do they like put it on each other's fingers like do they take turns like what am i supposed to do what about the blessing of the ring because traditionally it's with this ring i the wed because the woman has always had the wedding ring um or received the wedding ring so it's really interesting to see where this really comes from the journal in 1944 didn't really have an answer for this priest. They were pretty wishy-washy in their answer, kind of being like, no, it's more, you know, it's kind of like a nice symbolic gesture. Then in 1951, the review was asked again. Okay. Um, and at this time, they stated that there wasn't any objection really to be had with the blessing of both rings. Um, if the couple chose to have this as part of their ceremony, it's just not technically part of the religious ritual and the blessing of the rings, right? But it wasn't until 1956 when they were asked again, like a third time, <laughs> like, these priests want answers. And so the review finally answered, giving its final verdict on the the whole ordeal, just recite the blessing of the rings in the plural. So this is when that shift from I the or with this ring I the wed to with these rings I the wed, um, you know what the priest says to the couple when they're exchanging the rings and stuff like that. But the mm -hmm, but the reason why it took so long to get a straight answer is because the double ring ceremony um, meant a ring for the bride, a ring for the groom. It wasn't part of like the traditional wedding customs in North America or in Britain and they hadn't really been at all until this time period so it was very new but with that said the reason it took so long to get a straight answer from the American Ecclesiastical Review is because this double ring ceremony hadn't really been part of traditional wedding customs in Britain or in North America despite the jewelry industry trying to appeal to the like mass male market for decades okay okay so even by the 1940s men's rings already existed it's just there wasn't an interest or a need really for men's wedding rings so why wasn't it until the 1940s and 50s that all of this started to gain traction in the wedding scene so we need to consider three things before we deep dive into the history of men's wedding rings. Capitalism. First, capitalism, mm -hmm. as you just gladly shared with me. Thank you. Homophobia. And also feminism. Ooh, but can I take one guess? feminism in the way that you think? Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> so first of all, I just want to say that I kind of love the idea that these very anxious popes are just repeatedly writing letters to this magazine being like... <laughs> 
but, 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 but how do we do it? Like, we know this is happening. We know it's trendy, but like, how do we do it? Help us. Like an agony ad yeah. for priests is hilarious yeah. to me. But also like when you say like feminism, but not necessarily in the way that we view feminism today in mm-hmm. the 1940s, it was so, so common for men to be away from their wives for years at a time. And like, yeah, Mark and I just started watching Outlander mostly because it's very sexy to watch, but also because <laughs> it's it's fun. But like <laughs> in that in that show, like a really good example of this is that the main character was an army nurse. She and her husband mm. got married and had like two months together before he got sent off as a soldier and she ended up working as a nurse and they didn't see each other for like five years until the war ended. So mm-hmm. My stab in the dark guess is that women and probably some some men were like, if I have to wear the symbol of my commitment to you and love when I don't see you ever, like, I want you to have this symbol of commitment and love to either, yeah. like, A, be reminded that you have a wife and possibly children back home to look after and come home to so that, like, encourages mm-hmm. you to stay, stay alive on the battlefield. Or, because, like, we know how... Western soldiers would often take advantage of women in different countries and mm-hmm, have affairs mm-hmm. when they were off at war. Like, yep. that wedding ring also serves as, like, an extra layer of I'm married and I shouldn't be doing this or, like, a signal to other people. Mm-hmm. Like a married. constant reminder. Yeah, like, kind yeah. of, like, a social yeah. contract that other people can see on your finger and know that you're making, like... <laughs> We need to keep all of this in mind while we're learning about the history of men's wedding rings because it's more how the jewelry industry is responsible for using homophobia and sexism disguised as feminism for their own capitalistic gains. Okay? So it's like there's so many like societal pressures and like opinions and values that really had an effect. Okay. The development and the evolution of men wearing rings to symbolize this commitment, right? And to symbolize their masculinity and straightness. Yes, exactly. So with that said, we're going to dive in. Oh, I'm so excited. So historically, jewelers have always been like a family-owned and operated business. But with the rise of consumerism just before the turn of the century and more competition in the form of department stores and mass merchandising, yay capitalism, entering the wedding market and the wedding scene, jewelers were forced to come up with new creative solutions to maintain relevancy and desire. Because why not? just by the less expensive alternatives from the department stores, right? So they're like, what can we do to stay relevant? Our our items, our stuff that we sell is way more expensive than what people can afford Mm -hmm. um, and buy at department stores, right? So the jewelry industry has always been crafty. We've known this. Even to this day, we can see all of these new like, Ooh, get this ring for this occasion. And it's just like, when did we start celebrating this thing? So by the turn of the century, you know, there was already a wide variety of selection of rings for men and women for all kinds of occasions. Because if you want to make money, you got to get creative. My favorite is a poison ring. (laughs) Yes, those are cool as hell. So engagement rings for women, check. A guard ring to wear over your diamond ring for extra protection, check. Tiny rings for babies, 
Check. Graduation rings for men? Check. Coming up with new celebrations or holidays just to justify marketing a new piece of jewelry? Check. Purity rings. The jewelry industry. Ding, 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 ding. Jonas Brothers. You know, they were on top of all of this already. So while they knew their goods were more expensive, jewelers also knew that they had at least the expertise and the quality on their side, unlike the department stores that was like starting to come into popularity um, and starting their own like bridal and luxury item lines. So jewelry stores don't just carry jewelry. They also carry a lot of like luxury items like candlesticks, you know, like fancy stuff. So like at the turn of the century, gift registration was a thing that was now becoming popular because jewelers and jewelry stores started to offer this service. Um, nowadays it's more of a tradition that's starting to make its way out because like we mentioned before, couples are starting to live with each other much sooner before they get married. And so they don't need to have a wedding registry in the traditional sense. You like, already have two like, of every tablecloths and all the things. <laughs> exactly. Also, who owns a tablecloth? I don't. <laughs> but it's really interesting to see how this like simple service of a gift registry, like revolutionize the already common tradition of gift giving within like at Mm. wedding times and stuff like that right so gift registries made it easier now to for guests to coordinate gifts to avoid the dreaded duplicate gift if everyone accidentally you know buys the same knockoff candlestick from like marshall's or like macy's or whatever american department stores like existed at the time (laughs) in the early 1900s plus it allowed jewelers to like sigh in relief because they had that sense of security now of knowing that people are registering at their store so they know that they're going to be making money from these sales um and especially from their more expensive luxury items Hmm. seeing as wedding jewelry was still like the main reason why they were losing out on so much business How could, like, small local jewelry stores really compete against these bigger department stores with their affordable wedding rings for women and all of their money for advertising and marketing and, like, mass production, basically, right? Mm -hmm. By the 1920s, uh, jewelers attempt to popularize the male engagement ring. And the male engagement ring, by this point, by the 1920s, 20s had already started to make a way in the scenes it had like a small gain in popularity in the like mid to late 1800s but it never really caught on all that much like it wasn't that big of a thing but by the 1920s they were like okay we need to try to bring this back we need to try to make some money so what can we do so they start to team up with like hollywood they start teaming up with like okay. newspaper ads, radio shows, all all of this yeah, stuff. Yeah, because this is the golden age of Hollywood, right? Yeah, yeah. So they start mm-hmm. to like have all of these like tie-ins organized all across North America to like spread the word of this new male engagement ring and to inspire this new tradition that should be worth spending money on, right? But thinking of that, like, 1920s, like, I imagine it must have been pretty hard to do at this point in time. Women don't have that much independence, let alone financial independence. So it's kind of yeah, like, women who's going to buy largely, the wedding? Who's going to buy the engagement ring for the man, right? Like that's, Yeah, there are very few women at that time who have any kind of financial independence, never mind 
the sort of financial independence that affords a silver or gold engagement ring. Exactly. Like, you're lucky if your financial independence as a woman in the 1920s allows you to buy a fresh pair of stockings every year. Right? Exactly. So, obviously, a lot of this is more geared towards, like, the middle and upper classes, but it became something to, like, aspire to over time. Like, hopefully, that's that's the goal, right? But at Yeah, I think point, weddings are often associated with the American dream and, like, the rise mm-hmm. of that. So, that, that checks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, the majority of the information that I found about the male wedding ring is definitely more based, like, within the U.S., but considering our own proximity as Canada, um, like, so close to the U.S., and also just, like, how close, like, Britain and everything like that was, like, it's just all kind of, like, tied in, you know? Like, just a little bit. Um, yeah, our major influences are yeah. definitely the United States and England, for sure, even till now. So at this point in the 1920s, you know, it was already the traditional accepted custom for the man or for the groom to be shopping for his future wife's engagement ring on his own. It was kind of like like a rite of passage. You're a man now making this thing. So purchasing <laughs> the engagement ring already held so much more significance than just the act of engagement. The ring itself, depending on its size, shape, stone, etc., shows the rest of the world that this man had money, love, and a willingness hopefully, to provide for his wife and future family. At the turn of the century, there was a surge in this idea or this concept of male domesticity within the middle and upper classes, which resulted in more men wanting to share their time with their wives and their families, like within the home, within the domestic sphere, and just be more a part of that. So while the male engagement ring comes through as a way to symbolize and celebrate that level of commitment... It's still a really new idea. So can I interrupt for a second? This entire conversation is reminding me of Michael Scott from The Office. One, male (laughs) domesticity. Super huge theme for Michael Scott and his character development. All he wants (laughs) is a wife and children to spend time with. Mm -hmm. He, like, idolizes everybody that he works with who has that, who has a life partner Mm -hmm. and children whether they're like gay or straight or like their children are animals or Mm -hmm. human children and then there's the episode when he proposes to holly and pam looks at the ring and it's like oh my god like is that real and he's like yeah like six months salary right yeah and that just like reminds me of these insane ideas that Shopping for an engagement ring is such a masculine rite of passage that mm-hmm. there are monetary parameters around this. Like, you are, re- quote, unquote, required yeah. to spend a certain amount of your salary on a ring for your partner. Yeah. And the idea that you are supposed to pick it out mm-hmm. is still so pervasive in our society. Like, I was talking to my brother the other day, and he's like, yeah, I would want to pick out, like, my future wife's engagement ring. Yeah. And I'm like... I wouldn't marry somebody who just picked out an engagement right? without talking to me about it. Like, <laughs> I'm going to wear that for the rest of my life. I better have the biggest say in that. Mm-hmm. And also, like, a say in how much money you spend on that. Because to me, and I feel like this is not an unpopular opinion. Right. 
shopping for a ring that has that kind of significance should not cost the same as a down payment on a house. Should not cost the same as a car. Exactly. It shouldn't even, like, like, our dog, when we adopted our dog, like, honestly, adopting a dog and my engagement ring were similar price points. (laughs) But I feel like there are so many major decisions in your life as a couple mm-hmm. that that one ring or two rings or three rings, whatever, mm-hmm. the cost of that one ring should not outweigh other significant decisions that you make in your early life as a couple. Yeah. Nor should it be one person's decision. Like, yeah, Mark was so specific about his wedding ring. I was so specific about my engagement ring. We picked our own out. Yeah. Because... Why would you want your partner to wear a ring they hate for the rest of right? their Right? Exactly. Like, so I don't like, get that. Exactly. So, like, at this time, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, it wasn't a widespread, like, fad yet at all because society still saw men as the ones who did the proposal and as the women as the ones who got engaged. So, it's not like there was a separation oh. there. Like, men weren't the ones who got engaged. Women were. Right, so it's like keeping that, is that in so mind. Interesting, right? It's so interesting to I like. I never thought of that. Think of it that way. So, with the idea that the act of engagement and engagement rings being already like an inherently feminine by social construct, like thing at this point, it's pretty easy to imagine just how much the manufacturing of male engagement rings really relied on gendered advertising and just like everything in general so while a lot of like jewelers leaned into showing off like rugged manly and powerful men wearing these really big bulky heavy looking betrothal rings um to counter like the femininity traditionally associated with the look and symbolism of engagement rings right so in the 1920s that's when we started to see this kind of like little shift of just like okay you know Men can get engagement rings too, but look, they're super duper manly. And some advertising campaigns by some of these like jewelry companies that were like really big at the time even tried to claim like the act of like being betrothed for men um, as like this ancient tradition tied to like the romantic notion of courtly love and of knights going into battle wearing like a token ring for their beloved lady and like just using that idea to further justify it as a like totally manly and absolutely real and ancient tradition not one that they just invented (laughs) that is okay i have to interrupt again because uh like holy shit our society has not changed no we were looking for wedding rings for mark if you just, like, follow the Instagram ads, if you follow them like the yellow brick road, <laughs> what are the most popularly advertised male wedding rings of 2022? Meteorite. Dinosaur <laughs> bone. Whiskey barrel. Yeah. There's, like, it either is, like, space, dinosaurs, alcohol, or, like, tungsten, which, like, Full disclosure, Mark's wedding ring is tungsten. But it's beautiful. It's beautiful. But, like, if a wedding ring does not include some very stereotypically masculine item that you Mm -hmm. expect in a wedding ring, it is advertised as the most indestructible metal ever. 
Like, if you look at, like, my dad's wedding ring, Mark's dad's wedding ring, probably your dad's wedding ring, Mm -hmm. they all look pretty much the same. Yeah. Like, the classic, simple simple gold band. (laughs) Yeah. Like, almost all the same width. Like, they curve in a little bit. Yeah. But today, it's like we've reverted back to that uber-masculine, if you're going to get married, it better be the most masculine ring that you're ever Exactly. Like, it needs and to be called, like, the commander or something like that, like, in the store for someone to even look at it, you know? <laughs> like, okay, Mark's wedding ring is called the Hopkins because it's named after Sir Anthony Hopkins. Like, <laughs> the wedding ring that we got him was from a website where, like, every ring, regard like, I highly doubt that Anthony Hopkins has anything to do with black tungs- tungsten wedding rings. But, like, they're all named after classically masculine figureheads, whether they're actors or historical figures. And it's so interesting because, like, first of all, I would never want my partner to have a ring they didn't love. Mm-hmm. So I'm so happy that we found a ring that he did love. Mm-hmm. But the marketing for a man's wedding ring or engagement ring, because... Mark did have a friend who got engaged around the same time we did, and he had an engagement ring. Yeah. In my entire life, I have met one man who had an engagement ring. So, like, Wow. Yeah. I don't know anybody who has an engagement ring who is a man. And his engagement ring was tungsten with, like, meteorite in it. So, like, the That's most cool. masculine engagement ring yeah. you could think of. Okay. Honestly, very cool. I yeah. was very into Mark getting, like, a whiskey barrel ring because we both love whiskey (laughs) but like it's just so insane that yeah they're so hyper masculine exactly but it's literally like but even like back in the day like at the turn of the century like with the history of the rings it's always been like no homo like right like (laughs) oh yeah it has to be like it signifies your power as a man like your place in society like that's why rings always have these like really powerful sounding names that are based off of like male professions like the pilot these are just examples of names for wedding rings at this point in time in the 1920s as well right like this is what they already advertise them that has not changed so obviously like with all of that said like the industry at that time was already well aware of the reluctance of men wanting to get engaged or wear these rings so in addition to the flashy masculine advertising a lot of um like magazines within the trade started to suggest to jewelers to use the time of the woman's engagement as like the time to like get her like reel her in to the idea of getting an engagement ring for her new husband or for her future husband um and okay so so, like when she would come in to try on the ring for herself or whatever that's when they would kind of like try to talk to her and then, and, like, try to advertise the men engagement ring to them and all that. They would also, like, find ways to get in touch with the brides privately, like, by letter, obviously, in the 1920s. Like, you're not going to, like, call someone and, like, text oh, them. Oh, um, so this they would, is like, send letters to the brides to, with, like, these finger-sizing cards so that they could, like, try to, like, sneakily measure their, their dude's r- fingers. Okay, but... But like they but didn't the place that we they got also didn't provide marks. any like ways for the women to like try to do that sneakily because obviously in the 1920s you're most likely not living with the person so it's like when are you going to like covertly try to measure their freaking finger right Okay but hilarious the place that we got Mark's wedding ring from 
I did get a card that was meant to measure his finger. That's cool. So, like, okay, practicality-wise, amazing. You don't want to buy a ring that doesn't fit. Yeah. But it's so interesting that they would covertly send what is mm-hmm. basically the exact same thing that I ordered for a dollar from the ring website. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it is so <laughs> cool to see how these traditions haven't changed. And, like, right? women's engagement ring styles change, like, monthly. Yeah. Yeah. But... This idea of like a me- a men's engagement ring or a men's wedding ring, it seems yeah. like it has stayed the course so much. Like I mentioned, it, like they didn't provide the women with any like cool sneaky ways to try to measure their dude's finger. So like that didn't really catch on. And so by 1926, the campaigns for men's engagement ring is kind of like died down a little bit, you know. While they were still available to buy, there just wasn't enough interest to justify spending the money on continuing to advertise these And I, I have a question. Yeah. So when we are talking about men's engagement rings in the context of the 1920s, mm-hmm. we're not talking about women proposing to men. No. We're talking about women buying an engagement ring after they have been proposed to and they are already wearing one. Right? Exactly. And so okay. like there was also like make sure. the big like reluctance towards a man wearing an engagement ring as well in this sense was that people might think that the woman proposed. Right? Okay. And Which so, is still exactly. an issue today because like it is so rare for a woman to propose to a man in exactly. a street presenting relationship mm-hmm. that for couples who aren't into the like, like to me, someone proposing out of nowhere is a nightmare. I <laughs> want us to be on the same page. Like I, even if I know I want to spend my life with a person, yeah. If they propose with an eight thousand dollar engagement ring out of the blue, no, thank you. You should know <laughs> me better than that, right? But like, even in today's society, like when Mark and I decided to get married, we had a talk. We decided that we wanted to be married over a year before we got engaged. But we still went through the rigmarole, like, even though I picked out my own ring, mm-hmm. we knew we wanted to get married. He still proposed to me, and I, quote unquote, accepted. Yeah. But there's still that kind of, like, societal pressure for a man to propose to a woman. Mm-hmm. And instead of it being really popular for women to propose to men, it's more of a, you've come to an understanding that you both want to get married. Mm-hmm. And then you still have a traditional proposal. And I feel like that is very common these days. For sure. Anxiety of people assuming that a man has been proposed to still exists today. For sure. But it's all linked. Yeah. It's it's all it all ties back to just like patriarchy and sexism and women women being property, right? Like that's all it boils down to. The wedding ring is just a symbol to show the outside world that this woman now belongs to someone. Yeah. But yeah, so with like obviously with a man wearing an engagement ring and having that same sort of meaning and symbolism, it is very masculating. And because it means that the woman is the one who made this decision and is trying to acquire her own safety for her future and all of these things. Right. So it's it's very interesting to like see how all of this plays into each other. Okay, so yeah, so in the nineteen in 1926, you know, like, or the late 1920s, these male engagement rings weren't really flying off the shelves, so um, jewelers stopped advertising them, really. They were like, it's not really worth it. Plus, 
the 1930s were right around the corner. And what was the 1930s? The The Great Great Depression. Depression. There we go. So, like, obviously with the Great Depression, um, there was a massive drop in retail sales across several industries hitting the jewelry and wedding markets especially hard because they were, like, a frivolous expense during the Great Depression, you know, despite jewelers still trying to advertise wedding rings and wedding bands and engagement rings. They, you know, they were throwing out this idea that love knows no depression, um, but people... (laughs) living their real lives were just like i am either buying a loaf of bread or like potatoes how in the hell am i supposed to afford a freaking wedding ring you know so thankfully for retails and jewelers though <laughs> world war ii could not come soon enough <laughs> um, oh my and, god you know, the the second world war really brought about the marriage fever with the onslaught of men heading out to war, the jewelry industry boomed back into business. During the Depression, marriage rates in the U.S. dropped significantly. But by 1946, they were back up and everyone was ready to get married. And while men's wedding rings weren't an entirely new concept by this point, they were starting to fly off the shelf, specifically because of what you mentioned at the start of this topic which was people going to war and wanting to show that commitment while they were away and, like, um, making that, like, a symbol of their commitment. And I think, right? like, it also can go so, back to, like, this universal human need for amulets or tokens because mm-hmm. often, like, we think of an amulet or a token as something that you wear in a pouch or an object, but when you translate that to the symbolism of a ring, whether it's, like, mm-hmm. you know, like a friendship ring or like a ring that you give your child or a wedding or engagement ring, that is an amulet, talisman, good luck charm that is much more likely to stay on you in battle than a necklace or a random stone in your pocket. Exactly. So while men's engagement rings didn't ever really catch on, by the 1940s, we saw the rise in the popularity of wedding bands for men. Um, And they came in different sizes and styles. And because of the war, they had this new meaning of love and commitment, but also one of patriotism. And jewelers used that as part of their advertising. They took advantage of that. I didn't see that coming. For example, um, a 1944 advertisement was showing like a soldier wearing a wedding band, holding a letter from home, like close to his heart. And like... The idea behind that is that it conveys a still very traditional masculine man and role. Okay. But it presents love and commitment and patriotism because you have this symbol of love that someone back home loves you and cares for you and that they are worth fighting for. That this war is worth fighting for because you have someone back home. So, oh, that is yeah. like that is the yeah. perfect insidious patriotism that right. affects almost everybody, no matter how hard you try. Because that makes like even if you are so anti-war, like people who like draft dodged, they still know like I have a wife and child that I need to provide for, and this is the only way I can. Oh my god, that is. Oh. Because of the war, like resources were more expensive, 
metals and things like gold were more difficult to acquire. And so like wedding rings were more expensive, but people were like, no, this is worth paying money for because it transcends just regular love. Yeah. You know, I might not have any money as a woman, but if my, if the person that I love is going to die and this is Mm -hmm. the last thing I give them or the one thing that they keep, that is worth the money and like i get that imagine and like think back to like i don't know i don't know if you have any personal stories like this i don't personally but i'm thinking back to like movies where it's like sometimes these the wives of the soldiers who died in battle what do they get back from their dead husbands usually not their bodies their dog tag and whatever they had on them exactly so it's like Over time, that became a much bigger symbol for that as well. Um, So moving on from that a little bit, just a little bit further into the 1940s to 1946, in Fresno, California, a jewelry saleswoman, her name is Miss Bierman, and she noted in 1946 that at one time, men were inclined to feel a bit silly about the purchase of a wedding ring, but that now, the most rugged of men now cheerfully exhibit wedding rings, and many want them made up to exactly the same design as those worn by their wives. Oh, that's kind of so, cute. Which, of course, made their wives incredibly happy and smitten because this was like, oh, we're matching, we're so cute, we're so in love, and it became a way to like prove their love while they were out at war, right? Okay, and it's I get like, that. That's adorable. Yeah. And I think like yeah. the thing that's like striking me so much about your topic today is like (laughs) how relatable these choices are like how I could see myself making all of these choices that women in the 20s or the 30s or the 40s would have made like they make sense like this is marketing at its peak because every one they are presenting I'm like yeah I'd do that they really like get into the psychology of advertising and it's really interesting because Because now I'm going to mention the advertising a little bit again, because while in the 1920s, we saw a lot of really gendered advertising and displays as a way to make profit and gain interest or stimulate interest within the male market for engagement rings, um, jewelers in the 1940s, people had different ideas of how to go about it. (laughs) Um, Some stores, you know, had an entire separate room dedicated to grooms rings um, but Miss Bierman, who I've just mentioned from her store in Fresno, California in the 1940s, she, at her store, they felt that it was better to hide them entirely. It was better for the male psychology to hide them, keep them out of sight, and they chose to keep them underneath the case, like underneath the women's oh, rings displays. salacious. Okay. And so their sales pitch wouldn't happen until the woman had already picked her ring because timing it this way and giving the man the sales pitch after the woman has already chosen her her ring alleviates the potential stress for the man to find something that exactly he already feels masculine oh his wife already has a ring it's good or his future wife already has a ring 
now he can think about himself a little bit, you know? It's all hidden, so you know Which it's he no was doing all know. along, taking a woman as his possession, exactly. but, like, this is aesthetically, right. like, he doesn't want to look like a dandy, so. Once the woman's already made her decision, then the salesperson can then be like, hey, you know what would be really cool if you checked out these rings that kind of match, but they're for you, dude. What I would um, not yeah. give to be a fly <laughs> on the wall with this salesperson. Oh my god, right? that would be Miss Beerman. If you're still alive out there, oh. get in touch. <laughs> she sounds like a fucking marketing genius. Exactly. Actually, so all of these and like are she goes on geniuses. to say that like the reason for this is that the men's rings because they're so like they're wider, heavier, and mannish in experience, uh, or in appearance. I mean, not experience. Um, that they would like the idea is that they would clash with the atmosphere of the femininity of, like, the bridal section, I guess, of, like, the okay. rings, engagement rings and, and wedding rings, exactly. So it was kind of just, like, because it was hidden, it was more manly, kind of just... It's like a know, speakeasy. Like, nobody needs to know. Exactly. That is... Exactly. Okay, that is so interesting because, like, Mark and I are always laughing about how, like, his ring weighs... 10 times more than both of my rings together and how like they are such a mm-hmm. juxtaposition they clash yeah but, like within our relationship they make perfect sense but from a purely yeah. like capitalistic traditional view they represent that like masculinity versus femininity so well and like when you exist in that stereotypical sphere even if that feels mm-hmm. authentic and meaningful to you it is absolutely astonishing how deeply ingrained and how far back historically those assumptions and those privileges that mm-hmm. we rely on for our kind of like lifestyle and survival really are. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I don't even know what to say because it's yeah. like at the end of the day, like that is authentically us. I yeah. wouldn't change it, but like looking at it from an analytical standpoint and having you explain the history and the marketing behind it like my it's, mind it's is crazy exploding. to see it all come together and be like man we've been manipulated by the jewelry industry since the dawn of time right? and like i love sparkly shit but holy shit i have been <laughs> roped in me too erin me too and of course all of this also plays into the idea of having like the ideal perfect wedding right like the dream wedding that every little girl dreams of and that is all to thank to the wedding ring industry as well um so I think this is actually a great place to stop for this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, we've, we've been recording for almost two hours and we've only made it halfway through this topic. And listeners at home, obviously this episode is probably going to be more like 45 minutes in post-production, but Aaron and I planned to discuss three different wedding-related topics today for this episode. And clearly, we just have... So much to say yes, about wedding rings and the impact of the wedding industry on young women. So make sure to tune in for our next episode, which is coming out, which came out literally at the same time as this one, because we know we've made you wait way too freaking long for new Femme Macabre episodes. So yeah, tune into that episode, right meow, um, and follow us on Instagram, at Femme Macabre, and let us know what you think. So yeah, 
We love you. We'll see you next time. So long. Bye. Bye.